Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to be continuing our series entitled Transformative Parenting. And what, what's transformative parenting? We're talking about a type of parenting that provides a spiritual formation for children that's capable of surviving and even thriving in the midst of our darkening culture. The reality, as we have brought up practically every time we've had a segment in this series, the reality today is that the majority of Catholic children being raised in good Catholic homes right now will eventually fall away from an active practice of their faith. And yet there is hope, really solid hope, for raising children, even in today's culture, that can basically beat the statistics, which is such basically the majority are ceasing to practice their faith by the time they either leave their late teen years or their 20s. But there's hope if we're willing to make some significant changes. And last week, I promised to propose a significant change, and today we're going to rattle the cages a little bit because a change is needed. When millions of young Catholic adults and Catholic teens are ceasing the practice of their faith each year, we need some changes. And I'm basically going to bring about a real practical change. But first, let's just review a little bit what we talked about. First of all, uh, it seems, and, and this is from the Pew Religious Research, particularly of Catholics, that Catholic schooling or youth groups will in the long run make little difference in these fallout rates. Catholic homeschoolers, by and large, think they are immune from the fallout rates, and they're not exactly immune. They may be a little better off, but they're not immune. And Unfortunately, a lot of what I would, I don't know exactly what uh, adjective you want, but conservative Catholic parishes, the better Catholic parishes, sometimes are making the biggest mistakes when it comes to sacramental preparation. Because seeing the lack of heartfelt participation, these good parishes attempt to overcome that through increased outward conformity. And we talked about this last week, some kind of mandated have-to um, requirements and, and these type of things, basically higher hurdles and more requirements, but uh, that doesn't get to the root of the problem. Here is the root of the problem. Catholic kids who are raised with basically outward conformity or conformity to outward norms and who are fed lots of religious information, but whose hearts remain untouched, will not survive in today's toxic anti-Christian culture. In other words, the root of the problem isn't outward conformity. The root of the problem isn't getting abstract religious information to the head, the root of the problem is that their hearts remain untouched by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. 
once they have that personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the faith will stick through all these challenges of the teens and 20s. So the need, therefore, to this problem we're facing of basically hearts remaining untouched, the need is what I'm calling transformative parenting. You could also include your parish, include it by saying transformative parish life where the hearts of children are transformed by Christ. And by the heart, we're talking about the center of the will. According to Jesus, the center of spiritual perception, real knowledge of the living God, and moral actions all come from the heart. So the root of the problem, the need, and the needed solution were all rolled into one paragraph by blessed John Paul II and his document, Catechesis in Our Time. I read this last week at section 19, and it's so incredibly important. And quite honestly, if you don't believe what he says, you're not going to, for a minute, believe the big change that I'm going to recommend in parish life for religious formation. So listen real carefully, because basically what I'm saying is, is resting right here. John Paul II, quote, Catechetical practice must allow for the fact that the initial evangelization has often not taken place. A certain number of children baptized in infancy come for catechesis in the parish who are still without any explicit personal attachment to Jesus Christ. They only have the capacity to believe placed within them by baptism and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This means that catechesis must often concern itself with arousing faith unceasingly with the help of grace, with opening the heart, with converting, and with preparing for total adherence to Jesus Christ. This concern will in part decide the tone, the language, and the method of catechesis. This is so incredibly important. In other words, there are two steps. There's catechesis, which basically, when a child comes for sacramental preparation, like First Communion or Confirmation, but even uh, broaden that out when young couples come for marriage or young parents come for a baptismal preparation before their uh, baby is baptized, all of these things, they're coming, and very, very often the people are coming given catechesis, and Blessed John Paul II is saying, yes, we need to do that, but before that, in order for catechesis to work, there has to be an initial conversion, a time when the person comes to this uh, attachment to Christ with you know, total adherence to Jesus Christ, opening their hearts to Jesus Christ. And it's fully possible to waste dozens of years, thousands of dollars in education, countless hours of effort in catechesis and homeschooling and other efforts if this initial evangelization or personal attachment to Christ has not occurred first. It's overlooked. As I said last week, this is the foundation upon which the house is built. We're building fine houses, but 
kind of skipping the foundation part and wondering why things aren't working real well when the majority of our Catholic young people aren't continuing with their faith. And if the heart isn't attached to Christ, their faith will not attach to them in our culture. It simply isn't going to work. In fact, here's a prophecy, it's going to get considerably worse because our culture is getting worse. There's hope for this if we really, really heed what John Paul II was saying there is that there's something distinct from catechesis that needs to take place, and often people are showing up for catechesis and sacramental preparation whose real need is to meet Jesus Christ in a very personal way and have their somewhat dormant faith awakened. This is the need of the hour, and we skip over this. Um, We are just asking for tons of trouble. Now, I mentioned last week as well, and these things are so important, I am not getting seen out. Well, maybe my kids would think I am, but I'm not getting seen out in repeating some things like these two golden keys, because you skip these and kids will skip right out of the church. These are not optional things. And I mentioned two golden keys that are necessary for the transformation of a child's heart so that they could have this personal relationship with Christ. Here's the first golden key. Parents, catechists, teachers, priests, seminarians, everyone involved in trying to lead little ones to have this personal relation with Christ must have one before they can share one. And a question to you, mom and dad, catechesis, catechetical lecturer, teacher, Catholic school teacher, coach, scout leader, you name it, youth group leader, do you have a personal relation with Christ? I'm not asking how many theology books you've read. That's wonderful, and that's good, and that's useful for catechesis, but remember there's something distinct from that that's primary, that's essential, and that's being missed. So do you have a personal relation with Christ? Have you opened your heart to Christ? Have you had this total encounter with him that John Paul II was talking about? That's the first step. You don't skip first steps. That's the essential thing. Concentrate on that, and all the world will fall right in place. Okay. The second golden key, and this brings basically to kind of set up for some radical advice I have this week. The second golden key is this. If we're trying to teach and convey a personal relationship with Christ, that must be done in a personal manner. You always must teach in a manner consistent with whatever you're trying to convey. It's that simple. So if you're trying to convey something personal, deep, profound, a personal encounter, well, the way it's done, the manner, or in the words of John Paul II, the methods and the tone must be consistent. And that's why last week, I think we need to ditch a lot of the screaming mandatory language because that tone does not convey a personal relationship. That tone conveys that you got to get in my classroom because your heart doesn't want to go there, so I'm going to make you go there. 
and sure, they'll go. They'll jump your hurdle, and they'll go in their class, and they'll jump right out of the faith because the heart isn't attached. So we need to teach in a way and in a manner and in a tone consistent with personal relationships, okay? Those are the two golden keys. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and we're talking about how to form children, spiritually form children, so that the faith sticks, even in our culture today, okay? Now, most sacramental preparations, and I would say, you know, almost all of them, to a significant degree, take place in classrooms. First communion, confirmation, even though you may have a confirmation retreat, marriage prep, baptismal classes for parents, almost all or the primary efforts at sacramental preparation, and these are in counterpoints or should be in counterpoints with Christ. In other words, people are coming for sacramental preparation and catechesis, but remember, a lot of people are coming today, according to blessed John Paul II, who haven't had that initial encounter. So at these points where folks are coming to the church for sacramental preparation, we want to make sure they've had this encounter with Christ. You can't do it in a classroom. Well, you can. It's not by any means a great place to do it. Sterile classrooms are not the place that personal encounters with the living God generally take place. Uh, Do your own survey. I've done mine. I've asked people, you know, where, 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 how, when, who uh, did you come to really come to know Christ? And um, it's usually not a classroom. In fact, classrooms are extremely ineffective. I'm not saying because miracles do take place, but they're extremely ineffective places for this initial transformation to take place. And basically, we we're not reaching the hearts, by and large, the majority, 60% of young Catholic adults, like 18 to 29, 60% of these young Catholic adults don't even believe or question that a personal relation with God is possible. So that it's just, they've gone through the whole process. Maybe they didn't even want to come. You know, you know what? A lot of these classes are regarded as religious hassles, religious hurdles, because they're being kind of forced to force-fed religious information that their hearts aren't ready to receive. And if you try to put the religious information into a person whose heart has not yet been warmed by this personal encounter and attachment to Christ, it doesn't have its desired effect. So we want to have some kind of sacramental preparation in an environment and in methods and in tones that are consistent with the personal relationship we're trying to convey. Let's just talk about um, a common personal relationship, a dating, a young man and a young woman. Uh, Do you usually go on dates in classrooms? Now, I'm not saying I know there's somebody out there that may have dated in a classroom. Well, wonderful. Uh, Again, I've already said miracles take place, but don't you usually think of something kind of a warmer environment, like a coffee shop, a family room, a restaurant, a park, a beach, something. So I would dare say at absolute minimum, um, sorry, but 
blow up the classrooms or turn them into something else. I don't think it's the place that you're going to encounter God in a way that young people need to encounter God to have the faith in today's world. So why not instead or do some major renovations and have what we call sacramental preparation rooms? And that's that's a very wordy phrase, but we don't want classrooms. And what would a sacramental preparation room look like? Well, um, this this sounds wild, but uh, there's a parish here in Greenville. I just noticed uh, Sunday off the parking lot has a nice green space that's not being really fully used by anything. I envision a large log cabin inside with informal furniture, maybe a large fireplace where people come in a very warm personal environment to come to have that transforming personal relationship with God. Now, I'm not trying to suggest some cute little novel program here. It's just that classrooms aren't a place where people fall deeply in love with anything. I mean, occasionally, yes, but frequently, no. It's not common. So the people are coming to classrooms in need of a personal relation with Christ, so we want to put them in an environment, invite them with a tone, and teach them in a manner, I'm just repeating Blessed John Paul II's words, in a manner consistent with this total personal attachment to Christ. And in addition, you want to put a person in there to be the leader, the instructor, because we don't really give this, but you have to have it to be a channel to help others to get it. And so you want your very best talent, not the person who might volunteer after you've arm twisted a whole bunch of people. You want your top talent. By top talent, I probably need to even rephrase that. You want somebody who doesn't stammer when you ask them, do you have a personal relation with Christ? Have you come to a point in your life where you've had this personal encounter, the like of which John Paul II talks about in catechesis in our time? And if they don't stammer, they look you in the eye and say, yes, I do. And, um, you know, whatever, this is the most important thing that could be going on in a parish. And even if the priest has to do it and the congregation have to cough up a little bit more money and hire some executive assistants to get budgets and lawn maintenance and building maintenance decisions off his desk so he can concentrate on this. This is it, okay? Now, there's actually, in my experience, personal experience, as well as my informal surveys, there's something better than even um, this kind of informal sacramental preparation rooms that uh, I've just suggested. And uh, it's in my experience, the best place for this type of uh, transformation of hearts of young people, and that's God's great outdoor masterpieces, the mountains. You know, there's a part of the Gospels that uh, we may kind of read over too quickly and just think, wow, that's very dramatic. And I'm talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was transfigured and, you know, basically glowed like the sun in front of his disciples. And we look at that like, wow, that's majestic. And But Jesus was trying to show that 
because of the incarnation and his redemption and his union with human nature, he's in the, he's in the business of transforming human beings from the inside out. And uh, Jesus didn't always stay in the mountains. He went into the cities. He went into the villages. He went into homes. Uh, he went to the beach. He went on the sea. But for his transfiguration, he went to the mountains. And very interesting, uh, blessed John Paul II, who basically I'm premising this on, uh, did the exact same thing when he was a young priest. What did he do? He took uh, young people and young adults to the mountains to to meet God in a personal way. Um, this is this is kind of the way it works. And you're thinking, well, I don't quite understand. We don't convey all the information. Just remember, all the religious information in the world will amount to nothing if this first initial conversion hasn't taken place. And I think we would find that alarmingly high numbers, in fact, the majority of young people coming for sacramental preparation have not had this experience. So that's why taking them out and having this type of experience, yes, you can bring them down the mountain and catechize them wherever, but uh, it's so critical in order to do this. Um, I want to tell you where basically I learned this. I've told this story before. I've also related this story in a chapter in my book, Christian Fatherhood, because what happened one night with me and a bunch of boys in a cabin high in the Sierra Mountains uh, literally changed my life forever, changed my whole view of, of ministry to young people, changed my whole view of what it would be to be a father, even though I was a single man at the time. And I've been involved in some form of Christian ministry for over four decades and yet this night in the mountain um, was unlike anything I have ever seen as far as the transformation um, from the inside out that God is able to do. Just identify who we are. You're listening to Faith in Family, and I'm your host, Steve Wood, and I want to take you up into the Sierras to a church camp that I was responsible for leading for, I think it was around 100 young people from about 6.30 in the morning to about 9.30 at night. But in addition, I was assigned a cabin of highly troubled boys. Uh, these boys were seeing psychologists and psychiatrists. They were on medications in order to try to control their behavior. Um, pretty serious situations, um, very serious uh, situations. And one of the things I decided to do with, um, well, basically the whole camp, but I basically took the most troubled kids in this camp, the most, the highest discipline problem type kids in this camp, and I made them my special crew as we set out to literally build a bridge across a ravine. And this wasn't a kiddie ravine. The ravine was deep enough that if our bridge failed, you'd probably break a bone or two. And so this was the real deal. Um, I'd been a Boy Scout, so I knew how to use a hatchet, and I we basically cut just, oh, I don't know, probably 100 or 200 logs uh, into uh, certain lengths. And being a, a scout and a sailing advocate, I knew my knots, so I taught them how to lash 
and we built a rope bridge, just the kind that you see in the movies going over a ravine, you know, with the logs and the two rope handles and all that. We worked and sweated, and uh, both myself and these boys, remember, um, they thought the answer with all these drugs and psychologists and psychiatrists and all this to try to control, and they weren't controlling these boys. They just had to basically drug them into uh, kind of a zombie-like state. So anyhow, we were working to the point that our hands were filled with blisters and everything else. And I had promised them, we had a lot of disobedience at the beginning of the week. And I promised them that if they cleaned up their act and kept the cabin clean at the end of the week, that night, I would bring them all the chocolate that these boys could possibly eat. And when I went in, actually, before I went in, I decided that, um, you know, these boys just had a horrible future ahead of them. And I asked God, I said, um, Lord, you know, I am so tired right now, and I don't know what in the world to give these boys, but I just ask you to shower your blessings on them. And, and I came in. They were asleep. I woke them up, and I started, before I gave them the chocolate, I started sharing with them that God loved them and that John 3.16, when it says, For God so loved the world, it, it's really talking about God the Father, that gave his son, he he loved people that much that he gave his son. And then I started talking about Abraham, who was a picture of God the Father, when he was willing to give his beloved son Isaac um, on behalf of people. And just about then, one of the boys, one of the troubled boys, started heaving and breathing deeply. And you know, I thought it was some kind of physical thing going wacko with this boy, and he, and he just started breathing heavily and saying, God loves me. God really loves me. And tears flowing down his face. This is like a nine, ten-year-old boy who's, you know, highly troubled kid and everything else. He had a sense that God loved him, and it just spread to these other boys. Here's what you want to take home from this broadcast. I built a bridge, a literal, physical bridge bridge through sweat and blisters with these boys. And it's this, the faith you convey to anyone is no stronger than the relationship you have with them. And the strength of the faith conveyed is the same strength as that relationship. So what you want to do as parent, priest, and catechist is build the relationships with the people you're trying to reach with a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Till next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net. 
Hi, this is Steve Wood, and I sure hope you're enjoying and profiting from this new Podbean series you've been listening to, Transformative Parenting. I'd just like to let you know that we've put together a special MP3 CD with six episodes summarizing the entire Transformative Parenting series, and you can get it on a single MP3 CD. We've retitled it slightly, entitled Finding and Passing on a Personal Relationship with God subtitled Transformative Catholicism. I really hope you would get this CD because I believe this information is really so important that you really aren't going to simply get it to implement it in your life and your family with just hearing it once. And also, I'm hoping that this, in a certain sense, excites you about your faith to a degree you want to share the information with your friends, neighbors, and family members. So simply go to dads.org and look for that transformative Catholicism CD, Finding and Passing on a Personal Relationship with God.